As the world is writing a new story of global kinship, Postmodern Missionary dives into what it means to be a missionary pushing against the heritage of colonialism. Join Reverend Katie Meek as she explores life and faith in Sierra Leone. Hello, friends and neighbors. I just realized I'm just waking up. (laughs) And my voice, I sound like I'm just waking up. But I think I'm just going to keep going. Um, okay, so my plan was for the next, um, installment of the Disruptions in Church History podcast to come, I think probably this week or next, um, but then, um, our fearless, outstanding man of God, um, visionary, best leader probably I've ever met, um, our fearless bishop in Sierra Leone went through a really terrible car accident and passed away very unexpectedly um, on August the 16th. And if you follow any of my my socials and things like that, you've seen that. Um, If you're connected in any way with Sierra Leone and the United Methodist Church there, you know. And... um, and also, if you're connected with the UMC in any way, actually, you probably have heard this, um, just because he was such a giant of a figure, and um, we are truly reeling and um, pretty devastated. And I'm going through, I think, what is really true grief for um, a man who, in very short order, became my spiritual father, um, as he did for so many people. And, um, so it didn't feel right really to put anything out, um, right now. Um, but I was talking with a friend of mine, a pastor friend, and she said, well, you know, what if you talked about grief, talked about when disruption kind of comes to your house. And so this is going to be short. Um, but I think for me, it's an offering for the bishop. I'm, I, I will eventually share, uh, reshare the, um, interview that I had with him. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what's the right timing for that. Um, but you might go back and listen. It's really inspiring. Um, I'm going to go back and listen. I haven't yet. Um, but I, I thought, um, as someone who has experienced a good bit of my own grief and, um, a good bit of loss, it might actually be beneficial to people. Um, and you know, we're, we're experiencing communal loss and it feels like it just keeps coming, um, in a lot of ways. And so I thought it might, um, give you, I don't know, some, some kind of roadmap, I guess. No, not a roadmap. What I'm going to give you is two things I know to be true and two things I know to be untrue about what happens when disruption comes to your house and um, with the hopes that it might serve you now or in the future in one way or another. So I'm going to first talk about two untruths, and then we're going to get to the two truths. And um, yeah, then we'll, then, then, then that'll be it. (laughs) Then that'll be it. All right, so first let's get to the two untruths. So the first one is, you can't skip grief. 
which I think you probably know in your head, but may, may not know um, in your heart sometimes when you're in the middle of it. You can't, you just can't skip grief. The truth is grief is going to come and it's going to come out one way or another. And if you try to skip it, it's going to come out sideways in ways that you do not want it to. Um, it's going to come out in anger. It's going to come out in um, fear. It's going to come out in dysfunction or pathology in some way or another. You just can't skip it. Um, it won't let you. And so it's better to recognize that. So my story around that is um, my mother died when I was four. And I was four. <laughs> and so I didn't understand anything about grieving, of course. And we as a family, of course, grieved. I mean, for, for good years, we grieved, I think, in, I think, maybe indirect ways. But being a four-year-old, I mean, what happened was we kind of got on with our lives. My dad needed community. So we found extended community in addition to the church through um, community theater and things like that. And then um, he remarried and, and I gained a sister and then they had another daughter and life just kind of moved forward. And being so young in my, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight at the time, I didn't really understand that the grieving didn't actually have to be over just because our family got back to life, right? So I, I really just thought, okay, so we've put that chapter behind us, which was not true in any way. But, you know, my little tiny baby Katie brain, that's what I thought. And so um, I just thought it wasn't okay to feel sad about it anymore. I just thought we'd just move on. It took me a really long time to um, realize that actually I had to give it the time and space because it did come out sideways for me in a lot of ways uh, throughout most of my life. And it really wasn't until my late 20s that I started to, with the help of a counselor, actually grieve my mother. And in the process of that, I found a book um, called Motherless Daughters by Hope Edelman. Read through that voraciously a couple of times. And the, the quote that stands out to me, and this is something I go back to often uh, in my own life and in ministry. And she, because she, this is a woman who also lost her mother in her, I think, early 20s and was trying to just, you know, greater, you know, you just, you just, just move through it. Like everything's fine. Everything's going to be fine. We're just going to move forward. We have to live our lives. Everything's going to be fine. Right. And she said, finally, I realized, because it did come out sideways. She said, finally, I realized that the only way out of it is through it. So I'm going to say that one more time to you. The only way out of it is through it. You have to walk through it. There is no way, there's no path around it. You can't turn around and walk the other way. The only way out is to go through it. To grit your teeth and feel the pain. That's, uh, honestly, that's the only advice I can give you when it comes to grieving. Is the only way out of it is through it. And you just have to grit your teeth and feel the pain. You have to let it happen. And you have to, and that takes a lot of courage. You have to be courageous enough to step in, to step into it and grieve. It's a, it's a whole lot easier to pretend like it's not happening. But it is the strong, brave thing to face it and to grieve well. So that's untruth number one that you could skip grief. You can't, you cannot skip grief. Untruth number two is um, that it's okay to question. I think during times like these, especially devout Christians think, well, this is God's will. We just have to accept it. 
And I've heard that. Um, and I think that's comforting for some people. So if you're one of those people for whom that's comforting, go for it. I think that's great. But if you're one of those people who feels guilty because you're kind of mad or you want to know why and you feel like that's too human of a question, I'm here to tell you it's okay. It's okay to question. You know what? God is not some angry, vindictive punisher. When you come to God with questions, God can take your anger. God can take it. And so you can get mad and you can lash out and you can say why. We can, we can lash out and be angry. It's okay. I think that that is a sign of our humanity. It's a sign of how deeply we love. Uh, it's a sign. I mean, our anger is sometimes a holy thing. And we, you know, and I think you work around your theology in the midst of that too. I mean, this isn't necessarily the time to try and um, have very clean theology, right? It's, it's, it's a time to be true. And if you need that, you can have it because God can take it. Um, and while I was thinking about that, it's, uh, it reminds me of a story. Um, uh, one of my favorite stories in scripture is Elijah because he's such a mess. <laughs> um, he's such an incredible leader an incredible, um, person of faith and, um, you know, a zealot in his own right in some ways, but, um, and a mouthpiece for God, but he's kind of a mess. So, um, the, my favorite part of his story is after he has the big, um, huge grand, um, display of God's power, um, against God's enemies. If you remember the story, like essentially it's a competition between all the gods of Baal and, or, and Yahweh God and God wins. I mean, overwhelmingly with fire and a display of force, force and a show of power. And I mean, it's just grand and huge. And then you would think that after that, Elijah would, would be on a huge high for the, the um, way that he was used as an instrument in God's, uh, and to display God's power and authority and might. But um, the queen, Jezebel, hears that, she has, that, he, that Elijah has slain most of her prophets in the process and puts a bounty out for him. Instead of remembering the powerful God that he just displayed, he essentially, Elijah essentially, essentially like turns tail and runs. And he gets angry with God, and he he's despondent, and he, um, and you know, I think it's the clearest example of true depression that we have in our scriptures because he just goes um, to a cave by himself and um, is exhausted and and essentially just um, you know falls in his own despair. And um, you know, you might you might think that God would say, "Get up, you baby." Did you not see what I can do? Did you not see what I already have done? Don't you know that I can care for you, protect you? Don't you know that I'm powerful? Uh, you know, I think a human parent probably might have done that. You know, where have you been? Have you not seen? But instead, what God does is God sends angels to him in the midst of his despair and in the midst of his grief. And in, his, in the midst of his questioning, even questioning God, um, the angels go and wake him up and tell him to eat 
and minister to him. You know, they're like his nurses. Oh, y'all. It's so beautiful. <laughs> um, it makes me cry. That beautiful witness in scripture of who God is. So let me just say, you can look to the scriptures. You can look to the story of Elijah. I think that you can look in my own life. God can take it. God understands our frailty. God understands our grief. God has experienced it already. And God is constant. You can push against God and God will remain and cover you in grace. Those are my two untruths. You, you can't skip the grief and it's okay to question. So now to the two truths. The first truth that I have for you came from actually um, a, a pastor by the name of Reverend Cindy Ryan. It was a couple of years ago. There was, it always feels like it's the spiritual giants um, who are taken early. There was another kind of spiritual giant, at least in my life, but I, it was just a, a, a pastor in my conference who was a really respected man. His name was Ken Deem, Reverend Ken Deem. And I just think everybody knew he was the real deal. I didn't know him very well, but I watched him from afar and actually had planned on reaching out and saying, hey, would you be my mentor, please? Um, because he was just a man of integrity. He was a man of so much joy. Like he loved his life and um, loved his work and, and said yes to God over and over and over again in such a way that his, his ministry just, you know, and the churches that where he pastored just reached. So, I mean, you know, he was a regular pastor who lived a regular life, but the kind that did it with so much integrity and talent and joy. And he died very suddenly <clears throat> in his 50s, I think. And we were all just devastated. And he, we went, uh, you know, of course, it was a packed funeral. And Cindy Ryan preached the sermon. And in the sermon, she had like five things that we need when things like this happen. I don't remember them. But the one that I remember is she said, we need worship. We, when things like this happen, we need worship. And I remember thinking, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, what? Uh, but then, you know, it took me just a second to sit with that and think, yeah, it's 100% true. When we are reeling, the thing that we need is to come together as a community and reconnect with God. And it's beautifully connected to the untruth that I just said, which is, you know, you can, God can handle our pain and our anger and all of who you are. It's okay to question, but we question in the midst of worship, right? You know, it, that goes hand in hand with our absolute need to reconnect with God, to give God our um, devotion, and also to receive God's promise again, that God will not leave us or forsake us, that God deals in resurrection, and that we are his, and he is ours, right? And so um, my dad, actually, just yesterday, I was seeing him. I'm about to get on a plane to go back to Sierra Leone, and so we've, I've been trying to see a lot of my dad and um, the rest of my family, and he, he quoted this, not even knowing that I was planning on doing this, quoted, I don't know where this comes from at all, but he just said, weekly worship is practice for when crisis comes. Um, 
I have no idea where that came from, but it rings true. Um, you know, it's not the only thing that we do in weekly worship, but, but the idea that actually our foundational weekly worship practice is the thing that steps in when we don't know what to do, when there's, when there's no answers and when there's no moving forward and when you don't, we don't know what to do. Um, we come to worship and um, worship does in us what it needs to do, which is not even some like, I don't have words to say, like, I don't have that much wisdom necessarily. I'm just telling you some things I know. I don't know how it works, but I know it does. I mean, I feel it in my soul. So when my, I, I've, I've been someone who's experienced a lot of death and a lot of death on the roadways, honestly. I have a cousin, she was my age, CJ Karajean. Um, we had just both graduated high school both 18 and that summer before my freshman year our freshman year she had a car accident and died um and it was just awful so I remember she um and her family are church of Christ and that means no instruments right so we sang several hymns at her funeral so you know and a funeral is a worship service I remember I was sitting next to my sister and we were behind um my aunt and uncle uh, Danny and Debbie and who CJ's parents and I remember you know I'm I'm a good Methodist girl if there's a <laughs> if, if there's a hymn I'm gonna sing it um and especially when there's not a whole lot of music around if you don't sing if you don't sing in full voice then then it's, it's kind of awkward right so I sang in full voice until I couldn't sing because my voice cracked and then once I recovered I'd start singing again and it didn't occur to me to do anything different. Uh, and I think it's because of the practice I have <laughs> that um, if there's a song, you sing it and you sing it with gusto to the Lord because everything in your humanity needs to offer it. Afterward, my aunt, she took both Sarah in my hands and she said, thank you for singing. And like I said, it hadn't occurred to me not to. But she said, I mean, through tears, she said it made me strong. So that's the first truth. We need worship. And the second truth is one I'm still noodling on, honestly, um, especially when you lose a leader like the one that we had in Bishop Yamasu. But the second truth is that God is always raising up new life where there was death. And God is always raising up new generations of leaders. And in fact, that's what my university is setting out to do, raise up new generations of leaders who are leaders of vision, leaders of integrity and service and excellence like he was. And, um, you know, the minute you start to think, how could we, how can, how can we survive this when we've lost someone like him? We have to be reminded that where there is death, there is resurrection. And I'll go back to the story of Elijah in the scriptures. It, it seems pretty clear that Elijah never died, that he was just taken up by a chariot. And before he went, um, his protege, his young, the young prophet learning at his side, I call him Elisha. Some people say Elisha. I'm not really sure how to say it. But he prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And as he went, well, I don't, I don't I have a tendency to create flourishes where the scriptures don't have them. Um, but when I, when I was ordained, my uh, mentor, Annette Sowell, gave me a necklace that has this vision of 
essentially the cloak of Elijah being passed down to Elisha. So that's what we know. And we don't know how it's going to look for any particular situation or what's going to happen. But we do know by the witness of scripture, by the witness of history, by the witness of our own hearts, um, that God is faithful. If there could exist someone like a bish- like a Bishop Yambasu in the world, once there can exist it again. And we carry that and, and strive to live up to the example of the communion of saints who have run the race before us, uh, knowing that God is faithful to also create in us saints. So that's what I've got. Two untruths. You can't skip the grief. You can't. And it's okay to question. And two truths. In moments like these, we need worship. And where there is death, there is always resurrection. And God will raise up what is needed in this generation and in this moment. And maybe it's us. Thanks, friends. <laughs>